0: This week on Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. He has never acknowledged the learning loss, Kentucky's test score crisis. He has never, ever acknowledged the chronic absenteeism. I mean, the truth is, when you tell people not to go to school for two years, funny thing, they get the idea that they don't need to anymore.
1: Attention passengers,
2: we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff.
3: Voting is underway in the Commonwealth of Kentucky in the statewide races, including the race for Governor Kevin Grout and Scott Jennings. I am Joe Arnold, your Roundtable host, with three of our voices here this evening, including my own. Kevin, welcome. Hey, Scott. We're back. Voting is underway. A lot of things have happened since the last time we were able to sit together and talk about it. I mean, a lot of crazy things have happened. Yeah, last week uh,
0: we got a new Speaker of the House, and so I wasn't here. I was uh, in Washington covering that. And So we weren't able to do a roundtable, uh, but that was crazy. Uh, and then uh, obviously we've got the war raging in the Middle East. We've got voting underway in Kentucky. We've got
3: Trump getting engaged here. We got we got a lot of stuff going on, man. Let's go right to Trump. I mean, because I, I of course this is this is big news. He had already endorsed Daniel. The question is is would he do anything more for Daniel Cameron in these last few days leading up to the election? As I said before, we're recording this on Wednesday night, but by the time this is posted, Across the podcast sphere, the uh, no-excuse absentee voting is already underway in Kentucky. And now Republicans can hear from the former president and his view of this race.
1: Daniel Cameron is a young star who has done a great job, and the wonderful people of Kentucky know it. Andy Beshear has been a disaster
2: for Kentucky. He endorsed Crooked Joe Biden, which is about as bad as it gets.
0: Bashir is weak on crime and viciously shut down churches, small
1: businesses, and schools. I have known and worked with Daniel Cameron for a long time, and he has my complete and total endorsement.
0: So that 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 was part of the Trump endorsement. He did a, like a two-minute video, oh, yeah. and you can hear where they edited it. But <laughs> I, I think what's hilarious and obvious is that they obviously gave him a script. And then he gets down to the Bashir Biden part and then he ad-libs, and that's about as bad as it gets. <laughs> <laughs> like you could tell that wasn't part of it, but he exactly he was like having fun with it. I guess I guess the key question here I mean, the the Republican strategy in October has been to totally nationalize this and say, you know, it comes down to really a bright line. It's Trump and Cameron or Biden and Bashir. And Kevin, that's kind of the argument Daniel Cameron is making on the air right now. You want to hear his closing ad?
2: Yeah.
4: Takes a soft approach on crime. He let criminals out early, and you see what's happened. Andy caves into the far left, and that's hurt our kids and our schools. And when Joe Biden is wrong on our economy, Andy's afraid to fight back. I'm Daniel Cameron. As governor, I will shoot straight with you, and I will always fight hard for Kentucky. So the, So the message from Cameron
0: is, Bashir won't push back on Biden... And his previous ad was kind of about this as well, and then you have Trump swooping in here at the end to say, uh, "You know, drawing the line, shirts and skins." And so we'll see, we'll see if it works. What do you guys think?
2: Yeah, and in the last couple of weeks, we've also seen. Andy Bashir tried to say, well, some people who voted for Trump, like me too, in some of the debates, and I know we'll talk about the debates later, he was saying, I was following Trump's lead on a lot of the, the COVID policies. I, I can't believe anybody would criticize Donald Trump. He's trying to muddy that water, but I think Daniel Cameron made it very clear there's team Trump and team Biden, and I, you know who's on whose side. I don't think anybody believes that. I mean, that, uh, I, like, believes, the,
0: believes what? The, <laughs> that Andy Bashir was looking to Donald Trump. For guidance on decision making. I mean, to, re- to, to like reverse engineer that or rationalize it now, I don't I well, don't
3: think people generally believe that. Well, the question is, is not people who generally believe that are generally people who can he reach enough of those people to make a difference in a very tight race? I think for them, it's just a debating point to have to avoid actual uh,
0: responsibility for the decision. I mean, the fact is they did commute 2000 sentences, a bunch of people reoffended. To just pawn it off on Trump now, Donald Trump doesn't commute sentences in Kentucky. Yep, and these are state offenders, and so I, I think I think to me, it's just I don't really want responsibility for this. So if I can pawn it off in in one single bullet point and move on, that's what I'm going to do. I don't really want to explain it.
2: And but he never he never did take responsibility. No, for it. I think multiple moderators and Attorney General Cameron all asked Andy Bashir, "Do you regret any of the decisions you made during COVID?"
0: Absolutely not. And he never did. Not no. even once. He never. He has never said. If I had known then what I know now, I certainly would have fill in the blank. He has never done that, which honestly, I think people in political leadership would benefit from that kind of reflection more often. I think people will give you grace if you're willing to kind of look back on things and say, I think that was good, but that was bad. I wish we had known this. We didn't know. That. I mean, I think this sort of. Evaluate things on a rolling basis makes you a more credible leader. Yeah, right. but it's just that not not a lot of politicians have that gear.
2: I think you've even said it on the show before, Scott, that for him to even admit that the learning loss exists, you know, he won't. And all these would, debates would mean that he he messed up. And he, he, he won't has, even admit that the problems are there. He has never
0: acknowledged the learning loss, Kentucky's test score crisis. He has never, ever acknowledged the chronic absenteeism. I mean, yeah. the truth is, when you tell people not to go to school for two years, funny thing, they get the idea that they don't need to anymore. And, that, and that's what's happened. I mean, it, even to just acknowledge, yeah, uh, I still think it was the right thing, but I realized there were some consequences and now we have to deal with it. He has never even said that. Right. Because there's one thing you can count on the Bashir's for always double down. Always double down. They will never, ever, ever, ever not double down.
3: On that note, with the new education data coming out this week, i reminded by our colleague Jared Crawford that in the 2018-19 academic year in Kentucky, uh, about 120,000 students were considered chronically absent. That's about 17.8% of Kentucky students. That was 2018-19. Mm-hmm.
2: Just 20, before the pandemic.
3: 22-23 academic year, that 120,000 goes up to Basically, two hundred thousand. Wow. Uh, students, a, a roughly thirty uh, percent of of students are qualified as chronically absent, up from eighteen percent. So from eighteen percent to thirty. Almost a
2: third of all Kentucky public school students.
3: That's insane. And not just that, though, but the fact that. And your, what is it in Jefferson? I mean, it's got to be in the mid thirties in Jefferson. Yeah, I had I to look that so. one up. But yeah. it, it's just. But but to your both of your points, though, is that if we're going to take these this this issue seriously, you think you'd have to acknowledge, okay, what What is leading to this?
0: Well, Bashir said in the debates, well, you know, the way to fix, you know, the way to make sure a kid can learn is to make sure there's a teacher in the classroom. Well, it doesn't matter if there's a teacher in the classroom if the kid ain't in the classroom. Yeah, right. And obviously they're not. I I mean, it it has been, I I think his failure, just even outside the confines of this campaign, he has never been straight with the people of Kentucky Mm -hmm. about the educational crisis that we're in. He has never, ever said, okay. The pandemic's over now. We got some stuff we got to work on. He has never done that. Daniel has pushed him on it. He has ignored it. He has blamed others. I I think Daniel hit on a good issue here. I I I'm glad he brought it up. I'm glad he ran on it. And I do think parents are pretty darn concerned about it. The- and, and it's
2: not just parents. Sorry, teachers should be too. Because as Daniel pointed out in a lot of these debates, for years now, for an entire term, Andy Bashir has promised them raises three separate times, and you know what? They've never come about. He right. promised them two thousand dollars when he was first running. He promised them a five percent raise. Now he's promised them an eleven percent raise, and he has no ability. He's not gotten him done. He has no ability to get the next one done. Uh, he's he's just no, making he's been, promises he, in a campaign. No, he,
0: he's he's empty promises on yeah. this. I mean, it's just rhetoric for them. Mm. It's rhetoric. So along with the Daniel Cameron catch up plan, just uh, like just like his lieutenant governor, I mean, he he picked his lieutenant governor. For a talking point. Yep. Well, I picked a public educator. I mean, everybody in Frankfurt knows they don't get along. Everybody in Frankfurt knows she and Rocky Atkins are at war with each other about who's going to run for governor in four years. Everybody knows she's not an integral player, and they even had to fire her from the job she had in the cabinet because of the unemployment debacle. Right. But to him,
3: it's just he, – he's just – what talking point do I need to, to get through this particular matter? I do find it interesting that the interim education commissioner who – taking the place of Jason Glass – Robin Fields Kenney told reporters on Tuesday, it's likely a multi year recovery period likely needed before school performance really gets back to pre pandemic levels. So you hear you have someone yeah. who's really part of the administration it, yeah. uh, it, it, saying it's going to take years, acknowledging basically this caused damage. Now, what's, what's interesting about it though is that nowhere in the comments that is did the school shutdowns cause this? Instead it was the pandemic caused this. Yeah. But so there's this, this ability to kind of when, put a when, buffer in there. When liberals do stuff, they always take an
0: inanimate inanimate yeah. object yeah, yeah, yeah. and say, Why did X do this? And in there was a story today about the the posters of the Israeli kids, people are telling. Posters have really caused some hard feelings, <laughs> like, oh man, how did the oh, why wow. did those posters do that? It's like they take things that don't have they, they, what, what's the word when you like give them human? Agency. Character- they don't, they're they, not per- personified. Yeah. Anthropomorphized per- or whatever. Like, yeah, right. It's like a poster just came to life and strapped itself to a telephone pole. <laughs> it's like the pandemic just, you know, yeah. the pandemic didn't decide to close the schools. Yeah. Andy Bashir did. And by the way, to admit it's going to be a multi-year right. recovery. Yeah. You know why? Because unless Daniel wins. There will be no plan to catch right. them up.
3: There I, is no plan. I do think, though, if, if I'm—and I'm, obviously Daniel Cameron is already talking about this, so uh, he's certainly aware of it, but it's it's sort of this acknowledgment, though, In the, and I'm reading the, the last uh, paragraph in a story that was posted on the Kentucky Lantern, and the quote is, we know that changes in the way—this is the education interim commissioner saying, quote, we know that changes in the way instruction was delivered from 2020 to 2022— had an impact on student learning, despite the tremendous efforts of Kentucky educators and parents to remediate those impacts. But the point is, we know that changes in the way we instruction was, was delivered had an impact. So, full stop. Yeah, you know, at that point, your 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 children suffered. I'm sure. By the way, this guy's already gotten a phone call oh, from yeah. the governor's you, office. You tamp that down now. Shut the f okay. up, brother. Speaking of, you're off message. Inanimate, right. inanimate objects. Kevin brought in. I'll, I'll <laughs> open it. They're making fun of me mail for, call for wanting to read mail, but I do find in, uh, this this uh,
0: campaign well, flyer for. Well, first of all, I find it interesting that Kevin seems to get all the Bashir mail
3: and a
2: lot addressed right to me. I I, I don't know. They I, are wasting a lot of money on me. I don't know. Are they?
3: I yes, hope so. Yes. I hope you're right. Isn't there some algorithm? Somewhere? I thought there was a
2: sanctity in the ballot box, Scott. <laughs> right.
3: Thank you, Allison. so um, but but anyway, Andy Bashir knows Kentucky values mean something. What I find really interesting about this is it goes, this goes back to the Trump argument and and Bashir trying to to soften the Trump impact and and kind of even in some advertisements, you know, I voted for Trump and now I'm voting for Andy sort of thing. But what's interesting about this, Andy Bashir knows Kentucky values mean something, is what it says on the flyer, and he'll continue working with his Republican colleagues to keep our values alive and well.
2: Yeah. He sent I mean, a,
3: it sounds to me like he wants to be a Republican. Oh, he I sent a
2: couple of these pieces that he's super bipartisan, has pictures with Republican but legislators. He'll, he'll always
3: stand up for our traditions, our people, and our and protect our way of life. And but he's saying that our values are Republican are, are Republican. Yeah. I got a piece of
0: mail from the Democrat Governors Association touting all the bills. That Andy signed that were Republican bills. <laughs> so the Democrat governors are saying the only way for a Democrat governor to do a good job is to only do what the Republicans tell him to wow, do. Wow,
2: that Republican legislature
0: is doing some great stuff. <laughs> it do, You know, it does speak to an issue about his term, which is they he really has been a Dalmatian on a fire engine. Like you expect to see the governor in the Capitol, but they have nothing to do yeah. with driving the truck or putting out the fire. Right. Everything he vetoes gets overridden. His budgets get thrown in the garbage. He takes credit for stuff that he had nothing to do with. He passes out large checks of federal money. I mean, he he truly is kind of just a, a narrator as opposed to a participant.
2: And don't forget his senior advisor, Rocky, is handing out cam- uh, government checks at yeah. campaign events now.
0: You know something <laughs> about Rocky that's interesting, by the way? I, I, I... So this abortion issue, yeah, which— the Democrats have spent millions of dollars on. You know who voted for Kentucky's trigger law? Rocky Atkins. Yep. So Rocky Atkins has the same position as the Republicans in the legislature that his boss is spending millions of dollars maligning. I, I find that—I just I just would be love to be a fly on the wall <laughs> in the office when he and Andy and Jacqueline and whoever are kicking around abortion policy.
3: Rocky Atkins was one of the architects of the state's current abortion regime. So Bashir in— from appointees to to advertising and other campaign speeches has to distance himself from his party at some at one point at what point Scott and Kevin is there a price to be paid among the party faithful at some point does a democrat say hold on i was planning on voting for you but the more you talk no. the more you sound like the other guy no no there's, there's there's no price to be paid
0: no no democrats are i mean this is the thing about them and him specifically the discussion of being nonpartisan and unit unified. No, they, they are as partisan and unified around their partisanship as they can possibly be. But in
3: the same way as, and the, they'll give him a lot of latitude. I, yeah. I'm, I'm just wondering, for instance, what's what th- what's happening right now in the progressive left and them being upset with Joe Biden on the Israel Hamas situation, right? They the the John Fettermans of the world that they're yeah. upset with uh, because of Fetterman, and, and you pointed out two weeks ago, Scott. Uh, courageously gave yeah. a, a defense of, of Israel and a condemnation of Hamas, and we wish more Democrats would do that. But Joe Biden appears to be paying a price right now, and there's a division there. So why isn't there a similar division in, in Kentucky? If you have a governor who is the top number one Democrat, there's no question, he is the number one Democrat in Kentucky, mm-hmm. and if he is he's somehow, the only de- He's the only, the only Democrat <laughs> in Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, but, he's, but separating Morgan. himself from—I mean, he's, he's saying, I am a Republican where it matters most. Well,
0: the, I mean it, it, some of it is just is just sleight of hand, right? I mean, he wants low information voters to believe that maybe he is a Republican. yeah, I mean, the, the reality is a lot of people don't get a lot of news about Frankfurt. They, they may well not know who he is, what his politics are, or that he vetoes you know virtually everything the Republican legislature does. then they override it. I mean it is I, I would say an extremely low percentage of people know that. And so all they're ever going to
2: know is what, you know, what they're getting on Kevin's flyer here. It's the dichotomy between TV Andy or Mailer Andy and Frankfurt Andy. Yeah. What people see on TV isn't really what's happening in Frankfurt.
3: One of the big uh, comments, in fact, that echoes that was on the recent uh, debate between Cameron and Bashir on WKYT, moderated by our good friend, Bill Bryant, also on Comment on Kentucky. And, uh, Daniel trying to make trying to underscore and respond to the governor's comments on the way he sees tax policy
4: at home just heard the governor say he gauges how well the economy' is doing is by how much money the government is taking in he said the revenue that government's taking in you at home gauge how the economy is doing by how much money you have in your wallet and in your savings account and that's why I want to give more of it back to you look at the end of the day, there's a philosophical difference here. I believe that you should have more of your hard-earned money in your pocket. Andy Bashir believes, and you just heard him say, he wants more revenue to the government. And I didn't say anything about raising any sales taxes. The governor keeps talking about this, but the fact of the matter is my plan is to eliminate Kentucky's income tax. I'm going to do it smart and thoughtfully along with the members of our legislature i appreciate chairman mcdaniel and jason petrie and others in our general assembly and here's the the best part of that is that i have a relationship with our general assembly to get these big things done for this commonwealth of kentucky so At the obviously a the
3: contrast there and showing this, this this speaks to the whole question of whether andy Beshear is a closet republican daniel you know, cameron's saying no this is this is the distinction here well and if you just reviewed his record of course he's not i mean no Republican
0: would have vetoed the ban on boys playing girls' sports. No Republican would have vetoed the, uh, you know, the ban on uh, sex change surgeries for minors. I yeah. mean, he has done the bidding of the far left. But he what he has banked on is is nobody really covering it. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a momentary news, but it's it's th- the, there's so little co- he can he can count on so little oversight of his administration or so little ongoing coverage of it that he's able to get away with it when the campaign's not going on and then completely memory hole it when it is. I haven't and seen And then he the... just
2: talks about the Ford plant that isn't actually coming anywhere. <laughs> oh, we got we
0: got to talk about that. <laughs> Hit that, look, the entire underpinning of his argument for re-election is he brought these battery plants. Now they're not now one's on hold. Yeah. I'm and and at the same time that's on hold. If you're even, you know, uh sort of following this there are flashing red lights going on all over the industry about the slowdown in EVs. Mm-hmm. The automakers got out over their skis. They're losing their shirts on every one sold. They're not people aren't as interested in this as they were. And they thought they were going to be. Paying
2: a lot more at all these union workers after all these new contracts.
0: I, I tell you, there there is a dis, there is a high percentage chance he has pinned our economic future to something that will not exist in the way he claims that it will. Maybe there will be some market for this, but he has basically said, he has said Kentucky is going to be the electric vehicle capital of the world. Well, that I mean, that that future won't look too bright yeah. right now. I mean, being the capital of something that's failing,
3: it's, it's not that great. Well, and to your point, this is not just a Kentucky story. This is a worldwide story yeah. and certainly a national story. And what we're talking about here are not Political headlines. This is this is the real. This is the stuff you see on Wall yeah. Street Journal and CNBC. And this is real world auto manufacturers, as you said, Scott, losing their shirts over each vehicle sold. Up until this point, of course, all the you know the, the tax uh, incentives to, to buy these things have made all the difference. Yeah. But even after that, after and of course some of that is adjusted now. And and to Kevin's point, now that the it will cost that much more in labor. To build everything, I, I I don't I don't see that changing overnight. Um, no, it'll be interesting. Well, when they were first put these things out, and they're like, "Oh, we're
0: gonna have a tax credit for the EVs." I mean, immediately, all the automakers just raised the price of these things about as much as the <laughs> as the tax credit was. Like it, I mean, if 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 the whole thing is reliant on government pumping billions and billions and billions
3: into this and every individual transaction, it is not sustainable. I must I keep wondering about myself and what we're gonna do with our next car or not, because if it ends up being free, if they're gonna pay me to to take it, then I guess I would. You know what I'm saying? I don't think if they're, they're gonna pay for it all. Okay. Then I won't do it.
2: What <laughs> 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 were you also like taking home the free cases of Bud Light when they were handing those out because they couldn't sell them anymore? So,
0: somebody was telling me I was talking to a guy today and his wife was considering getting a, a Tesla because she thought she was gonna and then and then I guess Maybe they changed it in the in the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, like they they change the oh. income brackets for it. So if you if you make too much, you don't get the oh, or it's reduced. Like you don't maybe don't get quite the benefit. Oh, it's, it's means tested. I think I'm right about.
3: It. I have to Google this, but it, but yeah. essentially that that made up her mind not to do it. And I also thought that there was some question about whether a union shop made a vehicle and whether or not it was eligible. I think I don't know if they. I don't think they're, they're trying to support buying Teslas. In the Biden administration, I think it's only the ones that are made by the uh, by the by the big three or by union led shops there.
2: Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. the EV tax credit income limit for married couples filing jointly is three hundred thousand dollars.
3: Yeah, uh, so so over a certain amount that you're not over a certain amount. Yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. But the uh, do you
0: know do you guys know anybody that drives one on a regular basis? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do they like
1: it?
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's it's uh of it, uh, course range anxiety is a real thing, and until the we we keep uh, in a lot of different ways, and in, in energy world in particular, keep kind of building the airplane while it's already in the in, in the air. Let's we'll figure out this, this this landing gear somewhere before before we land. And the same thing with EVs. You're kind of saying, yeah, it's all going to work out. We're going to have enough energy. We're going to have enough uh, raw materials and rare earth, uh, you know, uh, components to be able to build it. Right now, they don't exist. Well, and all, and on the energy front, I was reading the other
0: day that in Kansas. You know, they had to, they were going to shut down a coal fired oh, power plant, but right. they had to emergency keep it open right. in order to provide power to the electric vehicle plant. <laughs>
3: right. I mean, yeah. at some point, it's that, green. the house of cards <laughs> f- falls down on you. Yeah. I was going to say a couple things more about the Cameron campaign, the bus tour underway this week. And from what I understand, the Riley Gaines yeah. addition to that, to your point before, Scott, about some of the, uh, the uh, what do you call it? The, transgender politics, I guess. But, yeah. but, but this really is uh, apparently hitting a nerve. I always ask the question, as Kevin knows, like, will, what will we remember about this later on like, when the election happens? Do people still care about this? Yeah. Do people still care about COVID? Do they still care about uh, the transgender movement or ideology and the, what's been foisted upon our schoolchildren? And apparently in Kentucky, from what I understand, people do remember. Uh, that issue and they do still care about it right now
0: my understanding is riley Gaines was a huge hit on the campaign trail and she also appeared with sarah huckabee sanders yeah the governor of arkansas and also kelly paul Rand paul's wife was out so daniel brought a little star power out uh to several stops today and uh, we're recording this on wednesday night and i know they wrapped up in western kentucky and apparently they had some big crowds today
2: and this is only day three of a six day bus tour i think they're doing 30 stops across the state pretty much if you want to see this ticket out and about in your hometown you're going to uh, it's pretty incredible, and the crowds have been huge.
0: I heard Daniel went to the Murray State basketball game to finish off the day tonight. May have gotten introduced in front of the arena. So oh, is that that's right? pretty. He's cool. out making the rounds.
3: Oh yeah. I have to ask you about one more thing that I heard, um, but I didn't look much more into it after that. But there is a radio advertisement being produced right now, uh, anti Daniel Cameron, that, and I don't even know if it's, is, is it true that they they basically call him like an Uncle Tom. They called him Uncle Daniel. Do you have it, Kevin? We'll have to look this up. I, I didn't. I, I. It's hard to believe that in this day and age that would be tolerated by anyone, in terms of that kind of, of a racist approach. But so, I guess it is true. It's it's out there, and we've we've heard it. Why is that tolerated? And who would tolerate that? Well, it's tolerated because the attack is being
0: leveled against a conservative Republican. These kinds of attacks wouldn't be tolerated against a liberal Democrat if the shoe was on the other foot. But because Daniel is black and a Republican, essentially there are no rules. We've learned this with him and other conservative black Republicans over the years. Back in 2019, when he ran for attorney general, uh, you know, that a hole Joel Pett, who was the cartoonist for the Herald Leader, you know, drew an editorial cartoon depicting Daniel, an African American carrying around KKK robes.
3: I mean, this is. It, this goes back to the Joe Biden. If you vote for Republican, you ain't black.
0: Yeah, and yeah. so and so that, that there's just a sort of a, I guess, in our public discourse, at least on the left or along among the people who can, who essentially dictate the narratives of our. Politics, it's okay to treat a black Republican any way you want as punishment for having become conservative and
3: not falling in line with the rest of the Democrats. Why is this tolerated even from the people who—obviously, this had to run someplace. I think it ran over the air on a radio station or or, or radio stations. Yeah. I can't imagine being a radio station general manager or a salesperson— Regardless of what money you're making during political season, there's plenty of money to be made in other ads, by the way, but to accept that and to, and to propagate it on the air. Is this, is, is this, I, maybe I shouldn't, I shouldn't be shocked, but I, that something still shocked me. Yeah. I mean, I,
0: I think, uh, you know, having been around Daniel since he burst onto the scene in 19 a little bit, I, I'm not, I guess I'm not surprised. And then having listened to Biden in 20 and having seen the way Tim Scott gets treated by the national media. Remember when he, yeah. He got the Washington Post. You know, we're fact-checking Tim Scott whether or not he actually was descendant from slaves. Like, brother, <laughs> I think Tim Scott knows his story. You know, and uh, and so I, I do think Black Republicans are held to a different standard, and and or maybe the, maybe the correct thing to say is they're held to no standard. There's no standards by which you have to follow when it comes to accepted discourse, and it's despicable and it's awful. And by the way. The group that put out the radio ad, which we're going to listen to in a second, also did a direct mail piece, which hit the news today, where on one side of the mailer, it's like half of Daniel's face, and then on the other side of the mailer is the character played by Samuel L. Jackson in the movie Django. He was a slave who lived in the house with Leonardo DiCaprio's character. I mean... It's awful. It's awful. I mean, it's just awful. And uh, and it is a reminder that uh, being courageous enough to be a black Republican these days carries a lot of peril. I mean, uh, what, what they will do to you and say to you to beat you back down into your— Below the ditch line, and to, and to make sure you never get an idea of to participate in politics again is pretty bad,
3: despicable. Not being active in campaigns myself, and as a result not being privy to internal polling and and message testing, um, I have to believe that Democrats, the Bashir campaign, whomever is involved with these kind of uh, racist attacks, uh, are sensitive to and are afraid that. The historic nature of Daniel Cameron's campaign, yeah, could in fact hurt oh. Bashir's chances. In other words, if, if I have a chance and I, as an opportunity, if I am if I am an African American family, and I see a dynamic, young, you know, leader Daniel Cameron on the ballot, and he's so cool and, and calm, and, and I I have to do something then, the, you know, the, to try to step in the middle of that. The history of what he represents
0: has barely been touched in this campaign by the press. He would be the first Republican-elected black governor in America. He'd be Kentucky's first black governor of either party. And, I mean, there there is history riding on him, and it has been completely ignored. Except for in these ads. Except for in these ads, but but, but to acknowledge it. But, I mean, if you put the shoes on the other feet, when a Democrat with certain characteristics rises up, take Kamala Harris, for example. Virtually all coverage of her starts and ends right. with "she's the first this, the she's the first that." The, this is history, but with Daniel, all we get is this. Kevin, let's hear it. Help.
1: What's up, Kentucky? It's election time, and all
2: skin folks ain't kin folk. Over the past few years, we've taken to the streets to demand racial justice, to demand health care, and the right to make decisions about our bodies. And now Uncle Daniel Cameron is threatening to take us backwards. The same man who refused to seek justice for Breonna
3: Taylor now wants to run our home state. We can't let that happen.
0: So that, I mean, that's running. And the same group put out this direct mailer. And by the way, let's just go back in time. Daniel Cameron did not take any action that caused the death of Breonna Taylor. Mm -hmm. The governmental regime that was in place when she died, there was a white Democrat mayor of Louisville. There was a white judge involved, Democrat. White Uh, governor. There was a white governor involved. Daniel Cameron took no action to, to cause the death, the tragic death of Breonna Taylor. I'll tell you who did take action was Andy Bashir when he sent the National Guard into West Louisville and killed David McAtee. But I haven't heard much about that. I haven't heard much about that from this group. No. They killed the barbecue man in West Louisville. That was Andy Bashir's decision. So why is Daniel Cameron being treated this way, but nobody nobody seems to care that Andy Bashir sent the National Guard into West Louisville and and David McAtee died? I I, I find this to be stunningly outrageous. And
2: Daniel's response to this I think is right on. He says he's never faced racism or discrimination while growing up or working in Kentucky until I decide to stand up to the National Democrat Establishment.
3: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I heard uh, Daniel's wife Mackenzie speaking earlier this week and I have already admired Daniel Cameron as a leader here in Kentucky, but and she didn't mention the race issue at all but what she did mention was that he is so even-keeled and 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 cool I don't know if she used that word cool or not that's word I've used in the past to describe Daniel but the fact that he is unflappable and there is a certain burden that yeah. you would think he carries in this in this race and especially facing those kind of attacks but to keep on keeping on mm-hmm. keep your eye on the ball and I don't know his I don't what emotions Go through anyone you know who was, who was repeatedly attacked, and on and especially on these issues. And it's
2: not just you know over the airwaves. These people showed up on his front lawn. Right.
3: You know what I think is interesting about
0: Daniel when when these things are being reported and, and when all this was going on and when people are attacking Daniel on these issues, they almost always use a picture of Daniel and his wife, who's white, almost always, in the rumor mongering and the rumor mill crap that went on when they got married, all of it is absolutely despicable. Absolutely despicable. There has been an undercurrent of racial attacks on Daniel Cameron since he burst onto the scene, since he spoke at the Republican National Convention, mm-hmm. since he, since his office undertook the work in the Breonna Taylor case. What is justice? Justice is following the law. Right. And he took it to a grand jury, and the grand jury... Made the decisions they made. but he had people from all over this country, celebrities and whatever, demanding that he just det- predetermine an outcome without a legal process. They just wanted him to wave a magic wand and say, "In this case, I decree X will happen." That's not the way a justice system or the law works. Well that was So for following the yeah, law,, right. he's getting pilloried. But I ask again, where is the criticism? Of Andy Bashir for sending the National Guard to West Louisville. In his responsibility for the death of David Mcatee, I, I mean, if you're going to hold Daniel responsible for Brianna Taylor, has there been a single exploration of that, by any media in this campaign? I I haven't
3: seen it. If there if there has been, I haven't seen it at all. Nope. But but I I don't know, man. Let me ask you about uh, Scott. The way the next few days unfold. Bus tours are underway. Is it basically right now get out, getting out the vote? And I guess to the extent to which, I, as I mentioned at the top of the program, that uh, the no-excuse absentee voting is underway Thursday through... Saturday. Saturday. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, so this is...
2: No, thank you, Mike Adams. Three days <laughs> of in-person <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> early voting.
3: Show your ID. But that's it. Is this right now just a matter of GOTV?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, candidates are that's what these bus tours are for. Like yeah. you're just you're getting a crowd together and and the hope is they get super excited about what you said and they wake up in the morning and they vote before they go to the office. Um you're seeing a lot of text messages go out from the campaigns right now reminding hey, don't you don't have to wait till Tuesday, go ahead mm-hmm. and, and just bank your vote. And governors races typically carry a lower turnout than presidential campaign or even even midterms. Uh, so there is a there is a premium on that mid propensity voter. You know the people who occasionally miss. Don't miss this one, and so they're going to get a ton of mail and text messages and door knocks and calls, and it's all just at this point. I think the persuasion is largely over. Yeah, but it's reminding people to get out there. Now that having been said, obviously the Trump message that they put on the air. There is some persuasion there, and and perhaps Donald Trump is is trying to persuade some Republicans who may be thinking, eh, Bashir's fine. No, he's not fine. And so, but but I think the the biggest piece of that Trump message though is just, hey, Republicans, there's an election. I need you to vote in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so it's interesting. I was I was talking to a reporter today, was dropping in on the race, and we were talking about the last minute strategies of the the overall strategy of the campaigns. And obviously for Cameron, the, the Trump endorsement and the use of that. Is to is to reel in Republicans and to remind them to vote, and I was trying to think of the analog for Bashir. The analog is abortion. Abortion is 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 Bashir's Trump basically. It's like a it's like a, a you know a a, a a message to to low propensity Democrats. Hey, this is something you care about. You need to get... now. The question is, are either of these things going to work? And I, I guess we'll find out next week. I don't really know. I mean, the Bashir people spent millions upon millions of dollars on
2: in months and months. And the months. most the,
0: the most negative hyperpartisan attack ads I've ever seen mm-hmm. And uh, again, despite his pronouncements of unity and positivity, this was one of the most negative campaigns ever run by Andy Bashir. And so that tells me that they always they never felt comfortable. I mean, they're still attacking him on the air today. We're we're less than a week out. They're still running attack ads today.
3: Right. Yeah. Usually, at, at, at this point in the campaign, is when you kind of you yeah you you, you... even even Bashir's positive ad that he's closing with the first part of it
0: is well, my opponent's a liar and a partisan hack. You know, that's <laughs> that's that's how he opens the ad. Mm-hmm. That's an attack ad. Yeah. And so uh, we'll see. I don't know. I look. I, I have a lot of confidence in Daniel. I think he's having great events. I think he's been drastically outspent. Obviously, mm-hmm. that makes a difference, but but also uh, and I guess that's called political physics. And then the other side is the political weather. The weather is it's a Republican state. A lot of Republicans have registered since Bashir became governor. Uh, and uh, Joe Biden's in the charitably in the toilet, if not lower in
3: this state. And people may just be mad enough. So I think it's gonna be an exciting election night. It's gonna be a close race. So Trump released a video to uh, talk about his endorsement of. Daniel Cameron did Biden produce produce any videos to endorse Bashir? I haven't seen Biden talking about it. Now he did
0: produce two hundred and fifty thousand dollars and shipped it over to Andy Bashir's campaign, so he Mm -hmm. became Bashir's largest donor. It's 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 uh, Bashir and Planned Parenthood are the two biggest donors to 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 Andy Bashir, and then there's the mayor of London, right? Weddle, who was also a big donor. And when I said double down earlier, Andy Bashir last week went to London and they were taking pictures and (laughs) piling
3: around. That was surprising.
0: In the face of absolute conclusive proof of illegal activity, Andy Bashir's instinct, double down. A
2: referral for a federal investigation. Double.
0: And by the way, by the way, so Weddle gets caught red-handed breaking state campaign finance law. Yeah. Then the Kentucky Lantern reports that very day, and in the days that follow, he started giving money to Pam Stevenson, the Democrat candidate for attorney general, and then gave a big b- bunch of money to the Democrat AG's association. He's literally— his mind, it's obvious how it works. Oh, I got in trouble giving money to Bashir, so I'll give money to this Democrat, and if they win, they won't prosecute me. I mean, it's, it is it is the most transparently corrupt thing you can imagine, and this guy is blatantly doing it, and Andy Bashir is blatantly doubling down on
3: it. It's that, shocking. That was truly a, a shock to me when I saw the the, the photograph of the governor with him yeah. a republican yeah. a, a and, supposed and then- republican mayor has
0: no reason to be giving to the democrat ags association Man, or to pam stevens a lot stevenson. of money a, lot, a a huge amount of money right. he literally is like how much how big of a check do i have to write so that a pamela stevenson might win and b if she does there's no possible
2: way i can get in trouble for all the obviously <laughs> illegal shit i did i mean
0: that's <laughs> it that's exactly what he
2: did well we know she doesn't <laughs> even have a kentucky law license so she wins she Nobody's getting prosecuted. She can't prosecute him anyway. It'd be illegal for her to go to court. Right?
3: <laughs> we could share a cell. Perhaps there's a pardon in the office. Oh, oh my God! Yeah. I tell you that freaking guy. Uh, blatant, <laughs> blatant. You mentioned Michael Adams on the ballot in the Secretary of State's race. Kevin, any other thoughts on the other down ballot uh, races before we move on to some other uh, events here in Louisville this week?
0: Oh, I think
3: um, I, I think all the Republicans are in fine shape. Uh,
0: truthfully. Um, you know, the, the races that have gotten some attention. There was a New York Times story, Kevin, on yeah. the agriculture commissioner.
2: Why are Republicans so good at winning ag commissioner races? Yeah. I don't know. I
0: don't know. I, I, I feel like the story of why do Democrats suck in rural America <laughs> has been written a thousand times. I guess this reporter didn't read any of A those. thousand
2: and one now.
0: <laughs> but, that, but that's, I mean, this is ag commissioner races in, in middle America states. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, the Democrats are struggling with people who sort of deal with, you know, h- hometown stuff and uh, and ag commissioners. I think uh, often are on the front lines of that, yep. and so and they're often on the front lines of dealing with the regulatory regime out of Washington. Right, right. And uh, and 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 Biden and the Democrats have been no good on that. So mm-hmm. anyway, I, you I wanna, thought
2: you want to tease our special guest for this week.
0: Uh, oh yes, regarding down ballots, I believe before the weekend we will release an interview with. Attorney General candidate Russell Coleman, the lawman,
2: the lawman himself,
0: the long arm of the law is coming in. Russell will will be. I think um, I think we'll put that out Friday.
2: Yeah, I think that's right.
0: So we'll talk to Russell about his campaign for attorney general right here. He's had we,
2: some good ads out there. We'll have to.
0: I agree. Have
2: to listen to some of those.
3: Whoever whoever made them are, is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about uh, another big event. I had the opportunity on Monday uh, to attend. A, an event at the University of Louisville. Uh, Leader McConnell hosting the Ukrainian ambassador to the U.S. is Oksana Markarova. Yeah. And uh, by the way, a Midwestern roots, she was born and raised in Ukraine, but was educated at Indiana University and uh, spent quite a bit of time uh, in basically the finance world. Was, I think, Secretary of Finance actually in the Ukrainian government, but mm-hmm. then uh, Isn't this role here very, very, very impressive? I woman.
0: met her last year it, at CNN and spent oh, a little bit of time with her before uh, the Sunday show. And she was really impressive when I met her. And she had brought up to me, Oh, I know you're from Louisville and I've spent a lot of time. I think she's an equestrian. Hmm. I think she had spent some time riding. But anyway, obviously quite fond of uh, this part of the country. And I was glad to
3: see that she came here. Of course, this is all happening uh, in the midst of the atrocity, the terrorist atrocities in uh, f- by Hamas and in Israel, or against Israel, uh, and and the subsequent war that's now underway. And questions about funding for Israel, questions about funding for Ukraine, questions about what other kind of funding might be going on right now. And uh, Senator Mitch McConnell uh, hosting, and he actually spoke much longer than he typically does at these McConnell Center events. Kevin,
2: yeah. He, he uh, came there to make a point. He wasn't just going to do an introduction. He said, I'm going to lay out—and he did. He laid out his view of the world and America's role in it and uh, the need for American leadership today and how he, he was not going to back down.
3: And as we try to see how the new speaker conducts this debate over whether Israeli uh, uh, relief as well as Ukrainian relief is in the same package or whether it's separated, uh, McConnell acknowledges that divide while at the same time urging America to— respond responsibly
1: right now loud voices on both sides of the aisle are suggesting that American leadership somehow isn't worth the cost some say our support for Ukraine comes at the expense of more important priorities but as I said every time I got the chance this is a false choice a false choice America is a global superpower with global interests and enemies of democracy around the world like nothing more than to outlast our resolve to resist Russian aggression. So let's remember what's at stake here. Russian victory in Ukraine would imperil the security and economy of all of Europe. Our largest trading partner, and strategic allies since World War II and endanger the engine of our own economic growth here at home.
3: McConnell, again, uh, and so often we think of McConnell, and we'll, we'll refer to this in a moment uh, when we hear a highlight of Scott's appearance on a PBS Frontline special about you know his, his signature achievement as the Republican leader in the Senate for a historic period is reshaping the American courts. I think what is probably... Uh, the untold or underestimated story of McConnell, and that's his view on foreign policy, and he has consistently been just methodical and and uh, and, and principled, but but unwavering on democratic ideals yeah. and supporting these these principles across the world.
2: Oh, yeah, he he is. I mean, he came up in the Cold War. He is a cold warrior and he doesn't have any illusions of Russia or what they're going to do. But around the world, you've seen Mitch McConnell promote these democratic forces for good in Burma, in Taiwan, in Hong Kong. I mean, he he has made this a priority throughout his service. Uh, I mean, for the longest time, he was the chairman of the Senate Foreign Operations Committee for a reason. He wanted to make sure America was investing in these places, in these democracies, democratic movements, and not just out of charity, not out of ju- the goodness no. of our hearts, because it would help America back home.
3: Well, he invested in Aung San Suu Kyi in, uh, in, in, Burma. in Burma, or Myanmar, right? Burma. or I thought it was the same place, it's just renamed. It Maybe is. Wrong. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we call it Burma. We call it Burma. Oh, I think. Okay. Joe calls it Burma. You can call Myanmar. it whatever you want, but... <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Anyway, the, but there was... I remember interviewing him many years ago and saying, well, why? I mean, what is this? Because most of us Obviously, by my uh, (laughs) mislabeling it or or, or, our question about it here, it's not on the tip of our tongues in America all that often, but he cares about democratic ideals. Yeah. You
0: know what I think has been interesting about um, his positioning on this this week and just the sort of the larger national conversation? I think we have a very distorted view, especially on the Republican side, of what actually American public opinion is Mm -hmm. on this. My friend... um, Patrick Ruffini, who runs a a polling firm called Echelon Insights, did a big national survey this week, and and he tested the issues of Israel and Ukraine and what the United States should do as a positioning matter. Both Israel and Ukraine have essentially the exact same levels of support in the U.S. electorate. Three in ten Americans, just a little over three in ten, say, support them whatever it takes. And then 4 in 10 say some kind of limited military support. So you've got 7 in 10 saying anywhere from limited to all out. Barely 1 in 10 say don't support them. Mm -hmm. This is true for both countries. So the larger American electorate views both of these as worthy and worthwhile causes to fight for. But I think we're having a distorted moment here where people are getting the idea that there's mass – there's mass like uh, uh, running away from this on the right. Um, in the crosstabs of this poll, uh, the Republican Party is really far removed from where like the Matt Gates, J.D. Vance position is. Uh, just 18 percent of Republicans say no support for Ukraine. That's 18. 26 percent say go all out and everybody else is somewhere in the middle of doing something. So the posi- the the abandon Ukraine position is not popular broadly and it's not even nearly approaching a top or majority position within the Republican Party but I I don't know I just feel like the conversation on this is super distorted mm-hmm. McConnell is in the
2: mainstream of American yeah. thought on this Right and I mean that's a comfortable place for him to be he is leading a bipartisan charge on this uh and you know he is willing to link the two of them together. He identified an axis of evil of um, Russia and Iran and Hamas, and he says, we need to fight these people.
3: Speaking of which, the ambassador, uh, Makarova, in a response to a question at that same event, after McConnell had addressed that axis of evil and talking about these people who are truly evil and, and wish harm to the world, uh, I thought had a tremendous response doubling back on what McConnell said about what really is at stake here.
1: Emboldened dictators do not stop. I am 100% sure that if, God forbid, Ukraine falls, and we will not let it happen, but if that happens, it's just an invitation for Putin to go farther. And if he attacks a NATO country, it's Article 5. It's, uh, you, you will have to defend it with your troops on the ground. Uh, and, you know, with just helping us and our yeah. troops, as I said, we can stop it while it's still in Ukraine. We are, we live, unfortunately, so much in 1939 moment, and we just and, have to realize. And to, realize. Refer to
3: them in, in that next sentence, then, basically, as the Hitler of today. Just a tremendous and, and extemporaneous response to yeah. a question there at the end of that appearance there. But it does—and McConnell said the same thing— This is not just altruism. This is not just a matter of supporting democratic ideals against Russia. This also is to say, we are doing this by not expending any American blood. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are no soldiers on the ground to fight this war. And as the ambassador pointed out, if a NATO country is attacked next, after if Putin is allowed to take over Ukraine, and you better believe that he won't stop there, then a whole other dynamic begins.
0: Despite the, I think the... um temptation of the media to try to pit Mitch McConnell against the new speaker of the house Mike Johnson. Let's just be clear about what he has said publicly. I mean 5 days ago on Fox News he said, quote, "We can't allow Putin to prevail in Ukraine." He said US boots on the ground may be required to prevail in Israel. He supported Israel attacking Iran. He called Russia, China and Iran the new axis of evil. Yeah. So Johnson is actually basically on the same line in terms of the positioning of America as McConnell. I think the media wants to pit them against each other because they have different strategies on funding. But I think Johnson is doing what he thinks he needs to do to satisfy his conference from a messaging perspective to start. But I think it's pretty obvious where this is going to wind up. The United States is going to spend on Ukraine. We're going to spend on Israel. We're going to spend on the border. And oh, by the way, half the money we're spending on Ukraine is actually just replenishing our own supplies. With new equipment for American troops. Exactly. And so I I just think beware, because I think there's going to be a temptation to try to present Johnson as beholden to this hardline anti-Ukraine group. It, he has said publicly he wants to support Ukraine, and he believes it's wrong to let Putin prevail. Exactly what she said. Exactly what McConnell said. He doesn't believe in letting dictators run amok either. And I think he's gonna get there.
2: And McConnell even went on the Senate floor today and said in addition to that package, they're probably gonna get some border security money in there too. Oh oh yes. They're gonna they're gonna get Biden to come to the table and defend this country while they're defending these other countries too.
0: Yeah, I, I and it look, this is a win for everybody. Yes. I yes. mean it, it's a win for American leadership on the global stage, and it is a win for everybody who looks at the video of the southern border and says because a lot of the people who argue against Ukraine say, "Well, we can't do that and fix the southern border." Bull. Right. We're a big. We can do a lot of things, just like McConnell said, and we should do a lot of things, and we can, and we will. Mm-hmm. And so to 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 do a lot for the border while we're it it proves all these people wrong. All these people who make those well, if we do this, we can't do that. They're trying to shrink America, and I think where McConnell is trying to he's trying to remind us all. We are the biggest, baddest superpower on the block and we should act like it. Yes. Remember who we are. Don't don't feel sorry for yourselves and don't shrink this country. We're big and we're important and we matter. Let's act like it. And so I I think I think his speech is as much a rallying cry for, you know, American exceptionalism as anything. And all these people, these naysayers, it's like they want to treat America like it's some
3: withered, diminished. Mm You know, has been nation. That's not how McConnell sees the future. We'll be talking about the 2024 race soon enough after the governor's race is over next week. But it seems to me, it's I mean, it's pretty obvious that Israel and the terrorist attacks and how we responded to those terrorist attacks and that terrorist group is going to have to be a defining issue in the 2024 race. Oh yeah, I I have been shocked, by the way, at what I have seen on these college campuses. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, well, we we saw that at the event with the ambassador from Ukraine. There were U of L students approaching people who were coming out and trying to engage and talking about, we need to cease fire, we need to support Palestine and stop the genocide, as they put it. Let, let me tell you something, man. People need to wake up to the level of anti-Semitism mm-hmm. on the left. But not just that, if I could, Scott. It goes back to that radio spot from against Daniel Cameron again. Why such anti-Semitism and racism is tolerated because of who's saying it? Yeah I, that I, again, there's this license or there's this gotta jail free card to say I'm allowed to be this reprehensible because I'm on I have the right label next to me. I don't I understand why and I don't understand why college pre- presidents and why other elected leaders in these states are the colleges that are allowing it to go on. why is it tolerated? I think that
0: there is a pervasive anti-semitism that runs through the radical progressive fringe of this country that that basically cultivates and foments on college campuses. It's it's this is not new. This didn't happen right. 10 minutes ago. It's been boiling out there for a very long time and it's been coddled and you know I've seen like liberal pundits on TV, well, I had No idea." There was so much this Come on. We've all known. I mean, for God's sakes, Al Sharpton is a featured player on MSNBC.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, the people who dabbled or worse in this have been protected, have been promoted. The message was clear. Oh, you can be, you can engage in anti-Semitism. You don't get punished for that. So they don't. And on these college campuses, the hatred for Jewish students, they're chasing them around. I saw the head of the Harvard Law Review yeah. Assaulting a student on video
3: today? Mm-hmm. I missed this. Oh, my gosh.
0: Uh, they're locking them at the in dining halls. They're saying, don't go into this particular area. We can't guarantee your safety, Jewish kids. The Cooper's Union in New York, they were locking them in the dining hall. I think told them to go to the attic. Can you believe it? This is America 2023? hmm And I have just, I have been stunned at at people who just are like, let's look the other way on it. And, well, they're, and, 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 and you've got these people running around ripping the posters off the, off the walls and off the post, these kids on these campuses. It's like, well, I can't murder this baby, so I'll do the next best thing. I'll try to erase them. I, I don't want anyone else to be aware that this, this human being ever lived.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Hateful, man. Where do you get – Like, where does? how do you get into a frame of mind that you say some poor family's child – has been kidnapped, or is killed, and they've put up a poster, and, you, and you're you like, I'm going to go rip that down. I, I'm stunned. And Joe Biden's got a problem on his hands, because this is the American left, the young American progressive left. That's where they are.
2: Well, what did Joe Biden do this week? He announced a national strategy to combat Islamophobia.
0: That, that's exactly right. So you've got rampant anti-Semitism, and their response to that was, saying, we can't be having all this Islamophobia.
3: Brother, that ain't the problem right right now. And what is considered Islamophobia, that you're opposed to Hamas? I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, but it's obviously
0: just them trying to say to their base, well, we know what the real problem is. You all are the oppressed. It's not the Jews, it's you. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know how they're going to solve this. In the Gallup poll in October, Biden's numbers among Democrats fell by 11 points. He got down to 75% over the month among Dems. That's low. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the polling analysis said it's young Democrats who were mad at him over Israel. So basically, he goes out and says Israel's our ally. They have a right to defend themselves. And a gigantic chunk of his young progressive base abandoned ship. I don't know how he's going to solve it. So now they're trying to clean it up by saying, well, we, the real problem here is Islamophobia. We talked about this on the show. Even after his Oval Office address, and he had to throw in, you know, after 9-11, we got real bad in this country on Islamophobia. It, they're, they're, they're just saying things, trying to placate this or coddle this. You cannot both sides this. They put a baby in an oven. Perhaps in these days. They in- beheaded people. Mm-hmm. They these- chopped their fingers off. They chopped their feet off. They chopped women's breasts off. They gouged out a man's eyes and left him alive to hear the screams of his family while they murdered them. And then they sat at the man's table and had a meal. Monsters. Animals. That's There's te- no coddling of this.
3: That's the testimony of Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. Yes. Who told that exact story. This is not just rumor. It this, happened. This is intelligence from the American uh, establishment that's it, it, explaining what happened here.
0: It's outrageous. And so, then you but, but but then you got these college kids running around saying, Well it's justified. Right. They're occupiers, they're colonizers. And then you've got Hamas on T V. Well, by the way, all the remember, Palestinians aren't Hamas. Well, they elected Hamas. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And then you've got them on T V saying, Oh no, we're gonna keep doing this as long as it takes to kill all the Jews. I mean, they're blatantly rejecting telling,
2: the idea of a ceasefire if there was one on the table.
0: They're yes, everybody calling for a ceasefire just wants
3: Israel to stop.
0: Yes, that's right. Firing.
3: They don't want Hamas to stop. They want them to keep going. Mm-hmm. Maybe there should be a PBS Frontline special about Joe Biden's departing from his principles in in this particular issue and what and what how he's vexed by this. I think Biden. I think because of the era of politics in
0: which he grew up. I think his instincts are, a bit will we have to defend Israel. Yeah, you could, But at the same time, he's got people in his administration like Karine Jean-Pierre. And she got asked the other day in the press briefing, well, what are you going to do about this anti-Semitism? Well, you know, Islamophobia is a real problem. There's more Islamophobia than anything, which is, by the way, patently false. Yeah. If you look at the hate crime statistics, it's, Islam, it's, it's anti-Semitism and then Islamophobia is in single digits. That's just not true. So he's got all these people around him who are pulling him the other way. I think his instincts are actually correct. But then all of his political minders are like, oh, well, I well, we can't get on the wrong side of these kids out there. And let me tell you one more thing. This story, this story about how essentially, I don't know if you guys have read this, about how Hamas has infiltrated TikTok
3: Oh, the algorithms!
0: The are. algorithm, and so mm-hmm. what they're feeding our kids this garbage, this anti-Semitic garbage, yeah. is being fed to our children and our college students. <laughs> Wake up, America! For God's sakes, terrible!
3: I mentioned PBS Frontline as a possible uh, avenue to explore this uh, this moral uh, crisis of the uh, Biden administration on this issue, because Scott on. Tuesday night. Yeah, Halloween. Halloween. The the scariest movie that liberals could think of to watch on Halloween was a movie about Mitch McConnell. (laughs) PBS Frontline. And they had done one or two specials on McConnell before, especially a McConnell in the courts. This one, I think, had the same title, but it was somewhat updated. And it included none other than Scott Jennings talking about the leader McConnell. And uh, this is after, this is in the, in the, uh, the lead-up to the 2016 election yeah, and, uh, and of course, the death of Antonin Scalia and McConnell holding that Supreme Court seat open for the next president to decide.
1: Trump's election and McConnell's support was a moment with far-reaching consequences.
4: Donald Trump will be the 45th president of the United States.
0: There was a lot of skepticism on the right of what Donald Trump was. And holding that Supreme Court seat open, just as a political matter, reminded Republicans, we can't leave to chance that Hillary Clinton might put a liberal on the court.
1: If Scalia had not died then, and certainly if McConnell had not said what he did, Trump would not have been elected.
3: George Will following Scott on the PBS Frontline special. That same Always, quote was it, used it, to to promote this special. It yeah. usually
2: happens like that. He's your follow up actor. Right?
3: Always good to be on the same wavelength as George Will. <laughs> yeah. we, we're vibing. Uh, interesting uh, production values there. Uh, I, I I I do think people should watch it. It's 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 well researched. Uh, I several things bothered me about it, and, and I couldn't think Scott of the sometimes when they do kind of a retrospective on. Uh, some of the entertainment shows are like on the E Channel or on VH1, this kind of thing. What they have they interview like random people about like, oh yeah, I saw Cher when I was growing up, and she used to be on TV. The person doesn't know Cher, they don't know Sonny. they don't know the you know, they, they happen to be just watching television when they were eight years old. Yet they're the person they're interviewing about about her life. So they had like five or six you know random journalists who really aren't close to McConnell, and they were they were like describing McConnell's upbringing as a child. I mean, yeah. I couldn't quite figure out. I mean, here you have McConnell on a, a number of interviews on camera talking about this, yet instead they're talking to these and, folks. And,
2: and the most out-of-touch person is Louisville's own John Yarmouth, who probably knows McConnell better than some of these people, but doesn't know Mitch McConnell at all. And he was t- talking about when McConnell was growing up with polio and that he was in his had to stay still and couldn't get up. And he said, well, that probably really psychologically affected him and his ability to make friends for the rest of his life. And now this two-year-old is stunted. John Yarmuth does not know that. He, he, that was bizarre. His, it his, was,
0: the psychoanalyzation of a two-year-old Mitch McConnell by John— you talk about a guy with too much time on his hands yes. since he retired from
3: Congress. God, it, give it me was, a break. So that was—I was going to mention that as one thing that was yeah. a, just bizarre. Uh, the other thing that I thought was really bizarre, because her career is well-known uh, and her, her contributions to our nation are well-known, and I'm talking about Elaine Chao. Oh. Former ah. director of the Peace Corps, United Way, uh, you know, served in the uh, George H. W. Bush administration, as well as the W. Uh, Secretary of Labor during the uh, George W. Bush administration, and then of course Secretary of Transportation. And somehow, and I think is it Mona Sharon? Is that her name? Or? Mona. Yeah. Yeah. I I have to wonder if there is some jealousy there or something because she was. Oh yeah, it took Mitch McConnell like negotiating with with uh, with Trump to be able to get her this job. I'm like. You got to be kidding me! The He's number the, of times one of the most accomplished women she was on the planet, she was referred
2: to as Mitch McConnell's wife. It's bizarre. And oh,
3: I mean, I guess she can do
2: transportation. It, it was why? insulting. It wasn't just bizarre.
3: It, okay, I, I agree with you, but I'm just saying, is it was just a, such an odd, odd path for this for PBS to take on that.
0: Yeah. I, again, I, I think this is another example of if the shoes were on the other feet and the parties yeah. were different, this kind of conversation. Wouldn't be tolerated. Yes. Well, listen to how crazy people go when they forget to call her Dr. Jill Biden. <laughs> I mean, they go insane. So here on this show, you had some people essentially, I mean, they they, they portrayed it as Mitch McConnell got his wife a job yeah. right. to try to curry favor with Donald Trump. Or Donald Trump gave her a job to curry favor with Mitch McConnell, however you take it. Without any discussion whatsoever of the fact that she is one of the most accomplished Republican government administrators alive, mm-hmm. or in da- history, dating right? back to the Reagan administration, yes. holding numerous consequential positions in government, increasing positions of responsibility, also in the private sector, she was the most qualified per- one of one of the most qualified people Trump could have gotten for any cabinet, right. mm-hmm. but specifically for transportation, where she had a background. And for them to just slough it off <laughs> the way they did, I mean, look, it's a one-hour documentary. I know you can't go down every rabbit hole, but the way they treated Secretary Chao, they did her dirty on yeah. that thing. And everyone should know, she is a highly accomplished government administrator. She always has done a good job. She mm-hmm. served George W. Bush, George H.W. Bush, Ronald Reagan. She served these these presidents more ably than virtually anyone else. And so her qualifications were not in question. She's the longest serving
2: cabinet secretary since World War II.
0: Yeah. I mean it, it uh, that that was bad. <sighs> that well, was bad. The
3: last uh, I guess that's the only thing I
0: can but, say. But you know, it's narrative. it's like the, the liberals they they like to construct these sort of narratism tropes and regardless of what facts or evidence or just, you know, even a you know, a quick Google search would tell you. Yeah. It must be this way. it rings true to me. is it true? Well, it rings true.
2: It, it, we, the facts would get in the way of the good story
0: I mean it, 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 so in this case, they right. wanted to paint a narrative of Trump and McConnell somehow, so that just that was just too convenient. It's like a, a Hollywood writer would write it
3: that way. It's just not that it's just not what happened. I will say the only takeaway that I think that everyone could agree on, including the producers of PBS frontline on this documentary, is that. And the thing that vexes everyone they talk to, including, for instance, like Keith Runyon of the Courier Journal, who was who interviewed McConnell for his first endorsement back when he ran for county judge in Jefferson County in the 1970s, was uh, is that McConnell is effective. I mean, McConnell's effectiveness is is that is the through line of every documentary and every commentary. Now, for some people, that is absolute. That's the reason why we love him. And for other people, it's like that's the reason why I hate him. But but they all agree uh, that he's effective. Runyon said something in the show I had to laugh at. At one
0: point, you know, he was bemoaning that McConnell had become a conservative or was a conservative. So, you know, the first time I met him, you know, he presented himself as being enlightened. And then he became a <laughs> conservative. It's, it's like the liberal mindset is if you aren't one of us, you are a knuckle dragging yeah, moron. That's right. Basically, is what they think. And Keith made no apologies for it. Like, unless you're a. Unless you're a uh, a, a, a died-in-the-wool liberal, then uh, then uh, you're a moron, and you can't be enlightened. You can't, you know, your conservative views can't be considered intellectually honest. I guess.
3: Despite the variety of sound bites that were somewhat at times entertaining and sometimes just uh, frustrating on the PBS front line, perhaps the best sound bite of the week belongs to uh, Bill Whitaker on 60 Minutes interviewing Vice President Kamala Harris mm. and asking her. <laughs> about uh, her, her potential candidacy if, in fact, Joe Biden does not run for re-election for one reason or another.
1: Well, first of all, I'm not going to engage in that hypothetical because Joe Biden is very much alive and running for re-election. So but there you we do are.
4: know. I mean, that is a concern,
1: and, and a legitimate concern, I would say. I hear from a lot of different people a lot of different things, but let me just tell you, I'm focused on the job. I truly am.
3: Very much alive, Scott. Yeah. Uh, so I have to ask you, you've I'm, you've counseled innumerable politicians. Yeah. I have to wonder about the number of people who counseled her before this interview with Bill Whitaker, and she knows these questions are all coming. Yet she still chooses that way to answer that question.
0: Yeah. She uh she frequently steps in it, just and 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 I don't I don't think it's as is as simple as just blaming her not taking advice. I mean, obviously, the most basic advice you would give anybody is, well, don't say anything stupid. Or don't say anything that so obviously is going to be regurgitated and puzzled over. She does it almost every time. I mean, some people have a unique talent for saying the exact wrong thing. She's one of them. This is one of the reasons her own presidential campaign never took off. (laughs) I mean, this is one of the reasons why I think if Biden did step aside, she'd never get the nomination. She's just not a very good politician. I mean... There's ways to handle that question. Oh, you're an idiot. Joe Biden's our president. He's going to be our president. I'm proud to run with him. There's plenty of ways to handle that question. Yep. Oh, he's very much
2: alive today. And it's not like <laughs> you know. she got it out of nowhere. She's gotten this question before yes. and has just so whiffed is there, it every so time. Is,
3: but is there some then subconscious uh, desire on her ambitious part to say, I'm going to go ahead and kind of throw him under the bus I a little think, bit?
2: I think she knows that she's got no political life without him. I mean, she didn't even make it to Iowa when she ran for president.
0: Her campaign was an abomination. It was terrible. Terrible. And and she has been a net negative. Yes. By the way, this week, so there was like a whole PR offensive around her. And one of the things on the 60 Minutes piece was like, oh, a lot of people think um, Kamala Harris has just been working on, you know, this foreign affairs or whatever but she's really lately been one of the focal points of the Biden administration's domestic uh, agenda including the economy i mean so th- so they're like they're like making the point like she's super influential like the period of time they're describing perfectly coincides with Biden's tanking in the polls <laughs> so it's like we put Kamala Harris in charge of all this stuff i guess they're thinking is, oh we're going to make her look important but they They're now like, well, she's been working on the domestic side. I guess that explains why (laughs) literally everybody's like, you suck. Bidenomics sucks. (laughs) I mean, he's in the toilet. He's in the literal toilet. Uh. When's the last time he led a national
3: survey? These swing state surveys. They're getting buried right now. Mm -hmm. I know we're focusing on the governor's race in Kentucky, but is this – when do we start – Asking the real question here about whether he's going to be able to run.
0: He is going. He is running. He's going to be the nominee.
3: I guess I, I just can't still believe it myself, and I'm just looking for another.
2: You keep asking every week. <laughs> that's <right>. yeah, that's <laughs> you, you keep asking it looking. for the next
3: next year, and we'll we'll keep answering.
0: There was a. By the way, there was a. Uh, I don't read this Quinnipiac poll tonight. <laughs> Biden 39 among this is national survey. Biden 39, Trump 36. RFK Junior 22. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> yes. <laughs> among independent, among independent voters. I'll say RFK crests thirty. Thirty-six. Yeah. Thirty one Trump, thirty Biden. <laughs> so I, I think if we can close on this, this election is obviously coming down to the double haters. Obviously. There's this independent group, hate Trump, hate Biden, would rather you two run against each other for president than Trump and Biden. Although I guess we would need at least one conservative in that race. So. Uh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I've got enough dirt on Joe. Be good I race. love the towel <laughs> snapping. But these double haters, and, they, and when given a third door, even a lunatic— They're like, screw it, we're going out the third door.
2: (laughs) Burn it all. But the
0: thing is, you've got RFK, Cornell West, TBD, no labels, maybe. Now, ballot access is an issue, but the untold and uncovered, or at least not covered enough, story of this election right now is the possibility that multiple third-party candidates end up helping a U.S. president get elected with under forty percent of the vote. (laughs)
3: Who was the last U.S. president to get elected with under 40? Anybody know? I got to think about it. What was, uh, well, I guess what was Bill Clinton's share? Woodrow Wilson? What was Bill Clinton's share in the Ross Perot election, when a- George H.W.? What did he get? Uh, he got over 40, but barely. Yeah, so that's probably the closest we've had in recent history because obviously Perot cost H.W. the election. What did Abraham Lincoln get in 1860? It wasn't, it wasn't a high percentage. We're all now Googling, which is a great podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> look it all up. In the meantime, as it will be our last scene red heard as one of them will give me their response. I'll give you my my scene and heard, and had a chance to visit with. Uh, now Scott is always pressing, uh, you know, uh, elbows here with with famous people up on CNN and hold on. He runs into. Can I talk for a minute? I guess <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. What did he get in 1860? I'm guessing he got. 28%. 39.8, so
0: okay. he got under 40. Under 40, okay. And then Stephen A. Douglas got 29.5, and, um, and then there were two others. In 1864, he did somewhat better. He got 55. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I'm just kind of scrolling through here, though.
2: Uh, Ru- Wilson won in with 42% in 1912.
0: Rutherford B. Hayes got 48. Garfield got 40. I'm just kind of looking through here. Did anybody get under 40? Yeah, Wilson 42 Pretty low. It'd be hard to to get enough electoral votes ultimately. Now I'm yeah. do, now, listen, that's today. A lot of people end up just defaulting to their normal party. So yeah. Or not showing up. Yeah, and that could skew it. Uh but but the hunger for another door that's not these two is real. And even a lunatic can get you to go out of that door, obviously. Because he is a Looney Tunes, by the way.
2: Yeah.
3: I mean, I'm sorry, he's a Looney Tunes. So, on my scene, Red Herd, as we wrap up on this podcast, uh, thanks to Susan Page of USA Today. Uh, she appeared as a guest speaker at the Rural Journalism Dinner in uh, Lexington uh, last week. And our friend Al Cross, who was also on that same PBS Frontline documentary, was honored that uh, night. That he's retiring from the Institute of Rural Journalism at the University of Kentucky. And uh, so, Susan was there to give some nice remarks. And she actually talked, I asked, I asked her a question about um, at what point. Do we think elected leaders will feel compelled to talk to the media, like answer questions? And she pointed out that Joe Biden has given fewer interviews than any other president in modern history. And I was, of course, referring as well to uh, the the, the controlled nature that started in COVID in Kentucky, for instance, where you have news conferences that are so tightly controlled that basically you're pressing buttons and saying you're allowed to ask this question now through the Internet. Versus actually having an engaging conversation with a reporter. And she was saying, she, she, ultimately, she thinks that it'll come back around. I'm not so sure. Kevin.
2: Uh, I want to give an update on my yard sign and the saga we had with my homeowners oh, association. Right. Uh, I, I think last I left, uh, there was some scuttlebutt on the community Facebook page about uh, some uh, rules. You don't see it, but air quotes around the word rules. I got one of those letters in the mail. From my HOA saying, you no, have an illegal display. Illegal? In, but illegal display. But just to
3: be clear on this, this sign is in your home.
2: It, it's in the window, yes. Right, but it's in your home. Yes. Okay. Illegal display of a yard sign. Please take it down immediately is this threatening letter I guess. Or what? Are they going to send the yard sign police? Well, <laughs> I'd like to name Flyover Country's first champion of liberty of the week. Kentucky State Senator Philip Wheeler passed a law this year changing the way HOAs are allowed to operate and making it illegal for an HOA to ban political yard signs. So that's state law. It's state law. It went into effect this summer. It passed unanimously in the Senate. Only two uh, members of the House voted against it. One of them was Pam Stevenson. The governor signed it into law. So I got to have a nice conversation with my HOA that my, my sign is protected under Kentucky state law. And I had can,
0: no idea. Yes.
2: Was, oh. it, was it a standalone bill or was it tucked into something else? It was a whole bill about HOAs and redefining HOAs and the process and everything. And in there was an entire section on you, you, everybody is allowed a political yard sign. You can put it up 30 days before an election. It has to come down seven days after an election. But the HOA has nothing they can say about it. Son of
0: a bee sting. Wow, but that the problem is, is who there was that? there was
2: one other person in my neighborhood with a yard sign, and his is gone now because the chilling political speech of this illegal letter from my HOA. Um, we're gonna have a pretty fiery meeting, annual mm-hmm. meeting
3: here soon. What about uh, in Halloween inflatables? Are those allowed? Uh,
2: clearly allowed, encouraged. I think there might be a fund set up to help uh, <laughs> purchase them because did
1: there
0: you survive bunch in the in they survived oh, yeah, the wind, Scott. Oh, they they were well staked. Okay, yeah. So, when I did it. I put mine up and it was well staked. Then my wife put one up that she liked and And then I then I restaked it. <laughs> it's down it. the street. No. So and now it's they're all but now they gotta come down and we have to put up our Thanksgiving inflatables. <laughs> you have Thanksgiving inflatables? Yes. You we have, a big have turkey?
3: We have a turkey. Albuquerque turkey. Have you seen, read, or heard anything besides the turkey? Uh have uh
0: no. I'll be honest with you. I have been uh no. You know what, History. actually? Oh, I knew
2: it. <laughs> I was waiting for it. I did, actually. Are, nobody's yeah. watching the World Series?
0: You guys I, know there's, like, baseball happening. I downloaded a book, Mitt, the Mitt Romney book by McKay Coppins, ah. and I have been reading it. You know, it's funny. I have almost read exclusively all my books on Audible, really for a while now, but I, I wanted to read this one. So I downloaded the Romney book by McKay, and there was an interesting passage in there about him in, in uh, 20, uh Of course, the saga of him, you know, deciding to accept the endorsement from Trump. But there's a whole thing he'd written in his journal about how much he liked Trump and he understood the appeal of Trump and like he's funny and people like him. And like Romney kind of had it pegged back in 2012. I don't think he imagined Trump becoming president, but he, he sort of he intellectually understood the appeal of a guy like Trump and how much people liked being around him. And, of course, then he spent some time thinking about how to derail him in, in 2016. And then he spent some time talking about the cabinet, and then he became a senator who voted to throw him out of office. So he's, he's been on quite a roller coaster with Trump. But anyway, I think – so having worked for Mitt Romney and having gone through the campaigns – and anyway, it was fun – it's been fun to kind of go back down memory lane and see what Romney was thinking during the time and then thinking about my own experience and what was I thinking at the time. And So anyway, McKay Coppin's book, if you like want to read about Mitt Romney, there's mine. By the way, one other thing. Richard Nixon, 43%. 1968.
2: Just in. <laughs> I'm just saying. Wait, wait. When he won 49 states? Uh,
0: in 1968, he got 43%. Hubert Humphrey got just under 43 And mm-hmm. Wallace yeah, George yeah. got 13 and a half. Running with Curtis LeMay. Bombs away LeMay. Isn't that what they, they called him? That sounds yeah. right. He was the, Ar- the, the Air, Air Force Chief of Staff. That's yeah. right. Anyway, there you go. So there's been a few approaching the low 40s, but under 40 would be significant. This is your reminder to vote,
3: Kentucky, because when by the time this podcast is posted, polling places are open for no-excuse absentee voting from Thursday through Saturday. Of course, Election Day on Tuesday. We'll be back next week to rehash, recap, and forecast the latest in Kentucky politics. For Scott and Kevin, I'm Joe. Later.
0: Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast.